All right, good afternoon and good morning, everybody. Um, and welcome to the second edition of our Fireside Chats. My name is Christophe Delacelle. I'm the director for Institutional Business in Europe uh, at Binance. And I'm joined today by our two uh, esteemed guests, Anthony Scaramucci, who is the uh, managing partner and founder at Skybridge Capital. Uh, Anthony, hello, nice to have you today. Good morning, good evening, wherever you're coming in from. How is everybody? Very well, very well. And we also joined by CZ, the CEO and founder of uh, Binance. Hi, CZ, how are you? Yeah, hello, guys. Yeah, uh, good morning, good evening, <laughs> wherever you are. All right, so today's uh, fireside chat is going to have a bit of a, I'd say, institutional flavor to it. So we're going to go through a few questions that will be followed by what we call quick fire questions. So we'll go through those as well. And then we'll wrap up the session with a few questions from the community, if that sounds good. Terrific, sounds good. thank you. Yeah. Great. Okay, so um, maybe let's warm up uh, with a few questions around uh, Bitcoin. So last year saw a super, I'd say, bullish market with an acceleration into to Q4 when we look at the uh, the price action. And crucially, uh, it feels like a, a different market from what we saw in 2017. Uh, we broke through the 20,000 uh, psychological barrier. We then reached uh, 40,000. We had a bit of a 20%, I think it was, pullback at the beginning of the year, even though we've now clawed back. Uh, some of those losses. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on where you think the market is, um, if you think maybe that pullback was something healthy that we need to see, and um, sort of your longer-term view on, on Bitcoin in terms of the price. Anthony, maybe you can do the honors and kick off. You want me to start? Okay, well, you know, listen, I'm uh, I'm, I'm newer to it than CZ, so, uh, but I, I've had 33 years of investing uh, on Wall Street, uh, we have about $8 billion of funds under management. And I started my career as an institutional salesperson at Goldman. And so one of the things you have to really look at is, you know, stock flow charts and an analysis of where money is going. And so uh, not to bore people, but if you've accepted, and I think CZ and I have accepted this, and I reached my eureka moment uh, in July of last year, what is that eureka moment? you realize, wait a minute, this is actually an impregnable store of value. This is an advancement on gold and other stores of value. And it's been digitized, which makes it everything that you would want from digitization, which is miniaturization, portability, mm -hmm. uh, tightness of security. And so once you get to that eureka moment, you're now watching. And the first reaction that you have actually is, okay, I've got to my eureka mode, how much am I going to be able to buy of this before other people get to their eureka moments? Mm. And then the second reaction that you have is that it's going to have a adoptive price pattern. And so I would implore people to look at Tesla, look at Facebook, look at Google, look at um, things like Amazon. Amazon, as an example, 23, 24 year history of a public company has dropped in value 50%. Yet when we think of Amazon, we think of it as this retail network, Facebook, a social network. Bitcoin is a decentralized monetary network, and it is experiencing a very similar price pattern. And I think Bitcoin's uh, uh, best moves are frankly ahead of it uh, as we start to get the rest of the world to recognize what CZ and myself have uh, come to conclude. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything Anthony said. And um, I think uh, we got to understand that if you look at any stock market, any any asset that's freely traded, um, the graphs go up and down. They're, they never go in a linear straight line. 
um, that just doesn't happen. If people know that's going to go in a linear straight line, they're going to buy and they're going to push, push the price up. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of mass, mass psychology and every every stock chart have up, ups and downs, but we got to look at a longer trend. And um, so I think longer longer term, I have exactly the same feeling as Anthony. Um, I'm a total uh, Bitcoin bull, uh, crypto bull. So um, yeah, I'm not very confident in the, in the long-term outlook. And also retraces are important because they actually uh, establish support levels or resistance levels sometimes um, if they fall through. So the markets go up and down, but then uh, different people buying at different points actually do establish some psychological barriers um, and they actually form uh, actual support. So no asset, if asset just go straight you know, up in a straight line, when they fall, they fall really hard. So having small corrections over time is actually very healthy, um, uh, a very healthy pattern for any freely traded asset. So it's very normal. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing special about it. Okay, great. Thanks. Yeah, so two, two bullish uh, outlooks. Um, next question, Anthony, this is one for you. Everybody has their, their own story of how they discovered Bitcoin. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how you stumbled into crypto originally and um, maybe give us some detail on how your perception of the industry has uh, changed over time? Well, I mean, you know, it's interesting, you know, because I've had I've had a uh, torturous run in politics. But, uh, you know, one of the side benefits of that torturous run in politics is you learn a lot. And so I, I think I was in a uh, transition meeting. I was one of the president's uh, transition chairs back in December of 2016. And I was looking at memorandum. It was, you know, publicly disclosed memorandum. So it's not like I'm saying anything untoward. Mm -hmm. And in there, there was a high level discussions related to the regulation of Bitcoin and other digital assets. And I said, okay, I, at that moment, when I closed those loose leaves, I said, okay, I have to understand what is going on here. This is more than a circular system. This is more than a tulip bulb. This is something real. And I have to confess to you guys, I didn't really understand it. So now fast forward, I'm bounced from the White House. Uh, I returned to my company. One of the best things, if you own your own company and you get fired from the White House, you don't get canceled from the culture. You can just go right back to your own company. So that was mm -hmm. fun. Uh, and I, I bought the URL skybridgebitcoin.com. Uh, and I turned my product team over and I said, I want to really understand this. Maybe we can have an index. Maybe we can have a fund or something. And then we saw the oscillation in price activity. Uh, mm -hmm. Then I met with the Winklevoss uh, twins, had some conversations with them. And you guys are going to probably find me saying this to be ridiculous. But at Bitcoin in 2014 at 400, I'm less interested. Bitcoin, when I got back to Skybridge at 3,000, 4,000, down from 20,000, mm -hmm actually less interested. Hmm. What became interesting to me was when it had this exponential growth in followers, exponential growth in holders of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So there's something about digitization. When you get over $100 billion in market cap, you look like you are the clear winner. Bitcoin has been attacked by 6,500 other crypto assets or currencies, if you will, uh, but now it's trading at a six to say, let's call it a 600 to $1 trillion market cap because we have to accept that there will be volatility here. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, uh, you've got that network together. Uh, it is broken through and reached, in my opinion, escape velocity. But my, my moment of intellectual curiosity actually started in the transition in 2016. Okay, very interesting. Thanks. Um, so do you want to add to that or... 
Yeah. Well, I, I pretty uh, well. I got in a, a little bit earlier, so um, I learned in 2013 about Bitcoin, and I um, I actually went through the same thought process, but at a probably at a smaller scale. So um, uh, back then, big in 2013, Bitcoin went from like um, twelve dollar ish uh, all the way to a thousand, and then come and then it was dropping back down. Um, I I was like eager to buy when it was dropping back down. Around, I got in around six hundred US dollars or so. Um, but uh, before that, in, end of 2013, so I read about Bitcoin, the white paper. Back then, there was a lot, there was a lot less material, and there was a BitcoinTalk.org. That's the forum, and then there's uh, Bitcoin.org. So um, I read, I read the technology. I, I understood it. I thought that well, this is pretty cool. But for in order for it to work, it has to have a community behind it. So what I did is um, I went to a few conferences. There was one Bitcoin conference in Las Vegas in December 2013. Um, that's like 200 people-ish. Um, all the guys that's in the crypto industry today were, were there. So there was Vitalik, there was Charlie Lee, there was Matt Rosek, there was um, Brock Pierce, there was especially the same crew. But once I met uh, that, that group of people, I said, well, there's a real community behind it. So that's when I was like okay, trying to sell my house and then trying to get into Bitcoin. Um, and I had much less capital uh, compared to Anthony, uh, what was Anthony's moving today. So for me, it was like a couple hundred thousand to close to a million dollars of my total net worth that, that was just moving. So for me, it was a much smaller move, which, which, which I could do early, uh, much earlier uh, in the cycle. So, um, and then I also quit my job to join the industry. So um, I, I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is going to be bigger than the internet, so I just got to get. I just got to get in there. So that's kind of how I started. Okay, great. I just want to go back on one of the the chapters of your discovery there, CZ, and I think this is a uh, a true testament to your faith in in crypto. So back in I think it was in 2014, you you famously sold your house to invest into Bitcoin. Um, what what was the real catalyst behind that? Did you have like an eureka moment? Uh, and are are you still holding those bitcoins? And I think. One other question where people will be interested is, do you invest solely in crypto today or do you do also diversify through, through other assets? Um, okay, so, um, well, number one is um, I, I had the Eureka movement around December 2013-ish. I was like, you know, this is a better form of money. And this this is this is the biggest thing that's going to uh, happen in the next 30 years, uh, at least as far as I could see. So I kind of missed the internet boom. Um, I was just out of college, couldn't catch that. I was like, I'm not going to miss this boom. So that's why I look, uh, went all in. Um, I was like, you know, I, um, that was like seven years ago. So I was not young. I was not super old. Um, my insurance policy is like if Bitcoin goes to zero, I can just get a job at a bank. And so that's kind of my insurance policy. Um, so I wasn't um, I wasn't afraid of my lifestyle being uh, degraded uh, because I couldn't pay next month's rent, etc. And then I still hold those BTCs. I actually had never had to sell those BTCs, so I still hold them. Um, and today I have, I have no other investments. I just hold BTC and BNB. Uh, those are the two crypto I hold. Um, and I actually don't, I specifically don't make any other investments. I look at like buying houses again, like, like that's a really liquid asset. Uh, mm. And I move around a lot. It's just not, I'm probably not going to stay in one place for that long. Um, look at cars, um, depreciating, depreci depreciating asset. Most other things are depreciating assets. And look at fiat, like definitely not going to accumulate fiat now. So um, and also personally, all my all, like all all my investments are done through Binance and not not through me personally. So it's like fully committed to Binance. This way, I have no conflict of interest. The team knows that everything I do is do, is done through Binance. So I keep my life really really simple and just Bitcoin, BNB. That's it. <laughs> okay, great. Very. Uh... 
Well, I, you know, I, I love, I, if you don't mind me interrupting, I mean, I love that commentary, but I just have to tell you, I'm Italian, so I've got to have cars, CZ. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's I mean, okay. Great, <laughs> uh, but you can't drive a Bitcoin. So I'm just letting you know, there's a lot of cars in my garage and now probably shouldn't have said that because it sounds like, like I'm bragging. I'm not really bragging. Just when you grow up as a middle-class Italian kid, you're like, okay, someday I'm going to have my dream car. Anyway, yeah, I thought I'd give you a little digression there, you know. Bitcoin sure. is definitely, uh, but for me, like like CZ, I I uh, I have all my money in Skybridge, so I have it in my uh, fund of hedge funds. I have it in my real estate fund, and obviously, if I put a lot of money in the Bitcoin fund to get it started, we have over twenty five million dollars of the firm's capital in that fund. We started on December twenty second. We're just about at a hundred million now, uh, so we've had some explosive growth from the performance, and then also the new uh, additions from investors. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind borrowing one of those cars from time to time. When you come to New York, I'll let you use any car that you want. Okay? <laughs> Thank you. You right, need so to let me look here. at your bank account. How's that? I'll be a boy here with all those bitcoins that you bought at like three, four hundred dollars a bitcoin. That's cool. Yeah. Okay, great, guys. Moving along. Um, one for you, Anthony. So you, you sort of touched upon it uh, earlier. Uh, but there's a big focus uh, on Bitcoin and its role uh, as a store of value. Um, now, historically, gold has a proven track record uh, as a store of value. Um, so I'm just curious where you sit in that sort of gold versus Bitcoin debate. Well, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to knock gold or other stores of value. Okay, we can do that comparison and we can explain that it's portability and the strength of the blockchain and the impregnability of the security and the um, ease of transferability and all of that stuff is is uh, you could do that relative comparison. But I want I want to say something totally, completely different about Bitcoin. Um, I want to say that this is a generational observation. And so I'll talk about my adult children for a second. My oldest son is 28. He just graduated from Stanford Business School. Even though gold has been around for, let's say, the 5,500 recorded years of our history, this new generation of men and women, this younger adult generation of men and women, see Bitcoin as the answer and see Bitcoin as a solution for value. So you've got old fogies like me. CZ's a lot younger than me. Uh, and you've got people like uh, Warren Buffett or people like Bill Miller. Uh, and they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. Bill Miller's a bull on Bitcoin. Warren Buffett isn't. Uh, but some of it has to do with stodginess. And some of it has to do with the new replacing the old. So what I want to say about Bitcoin is whether my generation likes it or not, or people that are older than me like it or not, the generation coming up underneath me, if you will, uh, that generation has already accepted it as literally a perfect store of value. And if you don't believe me, Go take a look at its current market capitalization uh, and then look at the possibilities. Look at where gold is in terms of market capitalization or other stores of value. And you can see as that generation, as my oldest son goes from 28 to 38 to 48, where is the money going to be in an asset management company as it relates to value store, particularly with what we all know is going on in terms of global central banking monetary policy? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's very interesting. It kind of weaves into my to my next question. I'd like to uh, take a bit of time to talk about your new product, the Skybridge uh, Bitcoin Fund. Uh, it was launched at the beginning of uh, of January. 
Um, I believe you originally seeded it with about 25 million of the firm's capital. Um, but there's been a lot of excitement and news uh, around launch. Uh, I think I read somewhere as well that you you organized a Zoom call to uh, to talk about the launch, but uh, 6,000 people tried to join it. It just crashed the call. Um, so it seems to be. Yeah, I mean, that was a big that you know in a weird way. That, in a weird way, we got like very good publicity off of that. I, that was a total fail on our part. <laughs> I had the uh, I had the Zoom license set up for I think 800. Uh, and I think you know, the most we ever got on a call was 300. So I doubled that and I said, okay, you know, and I added a few and I, that was my fault. So I have to own that mistake. But we did a follow-up call this past Tuesday, which was overwhelmingly uh, attended as well. And listen, the fund's just under $100 million now. Uh, $25 million was our start. We sort of uh, opened on the 22nd of December. We opened for outside investors on January 4th. Uh, you know, in the United States, which is different from other countries, um, we're, we're, you know, we have a lot of paperwork, a lot of fulfillment. There's a, you don't have a Bitcoin ETF yet. You don't have a Bitcoin mutual fund. And so what we tried to do is pursuant to all the regulations out there, design the simplest using fund mm -hmm. with the easiest documents, with the easiest in and out strategy and it's a toggle on strategy. There's no money management expertise in this fund. There's no money management dexterity. If you buy our fund, the day that you come into the fund or actually the day after you get the market price that it traded at that day, the average market price at 415, you own that Bitcoin, you own the NAV of that Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And then when you wanna sell it, we do the exact same thing to sell you out of it. And so we think that this is the most fluid and the best mousetrap out there in the United States for Bitcoin. Now it's at 75 basis points. Uh, there are products out there that are at 2%. Uh, there are certain products, unfortunately, because of regulation in the, in the US, they trade on the pink sheets and therefore they trade at premiums. Mm -hmm. And in some cases they could trade to a 20 to 30% premium to the Bitcoin. So you could actually see your Bitcoin go up, but your, your NAV in the trust actually didn't move because of the way the premiums are. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do is avoid that for customers and allow them to own the actual Bitcoin NAV uh, the moment they enter the fund. And obviously when they want to sell the fund, they can do that as well. Now, the only thing that we put on this uh, product, and this is primarily regulation, but also strategy, is we have a three-month lockup. Mm -hmm. I don't believe this is an asset class that people should be trading in and out of. And I believe that uh, and perhaps CZ agrees with me, just given that he owns his early Bitcoin still to this day. I think this is something I would want my clients to buy and hold, and we can examine it over a three to five year period of time, but I certainly don't want them trading it. And so we have a three month lockup on the fund. So 75 basis points, three month lockup. It's a limited partnership structure. So it's very easy for RAAs to use. Uh, it is open to international investors. And if anybody has an interest in it, you can go to skybridgebitcoin.com. Skybridgebitcoin.com. Our documents are there. Uh, I actually think, you know, CZ, I think there's uh, some quotes from you because you and I did a, a SALT conference uh, interview yeah. just talking about Binance and your feelings. There's some quotes from Michael Saylor, the Winklevi, the two twins, uh, other people that are in the industry, just talking about why we feel that this is such a compelling idea at this moment. Well, it's great to hear about the, the strong initial traction around the product and to see 
larger institutional players such as Skybridge uh, launch, you know, crypto-focused uh, products. Um, CZ, maybe Chris, but not to interrupt, yeah. though, across yeah. our platform, we have about $350 million worth of Bitcoin. In that okay. fund itself, we have about 100. I just want to let okay. you know that we're very committed to the asset class, and we bought it for a whole slate of our, our customers. So 300 million AUM across the platform. Yeah, about 350 right now due to market. Okay, good to know. Um, no, CZ, would you like to add to that and just maybe give us some insight on some of the trends that you're seeing uh, from the larger institutional players entering crypto? Yeah, I think that the trend is very clear. There's just more more of them coming. I think uh, Anthony is a very perfect example that now, even in very heavily regulated markets, now there are ways to for people to invest very easily through this type of funds. So even for regulated entities, institutional investors that can or family offices that currently may not know how to handle Bitcoin themselves. Uh, now this is a very easy way for them to invest. So we're seeing a lot more new products. And then for us, uh, the more people that comes in, we we also see uh, large institutional investors trading more actively on like uh, on day, uh, um, active trading platforms like Binance. So um, yeah, I think the, the, only, the, the one word I can say is like, we see a lot more happening now. So the trend is just really uh, up to the right. So um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, great. And Anthony, coming back for the, to the to the fund for a moment. Uh, so you mentioned seventy five uh, bips uh, annual management fee, and I believe the the minimum ticket size is fifty thousand US dollars to to invest into this fund. Um, was the original thinking or aim uh, to to lower the barriers of entry uh, to this new asset class? And um, if you can tell us also a bit about the your initial uh, interactions with investors around the fund, um, are they receptive? Are they not receptive? Are you finding yourself taking some of them on a bit of an educational journey in respect to crypto and Bitcoin? If you can give us some insights there, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. so they're all, all great questions. And so the, the, the first part is yes, uh, there's a tremendous amount of education that has to go on. There's lots of skepticism. Um, and I think the price activity over the last year, people are very concerned that they're buying at the top. And so I think if you, if you explain to them fundamentally where we are, and one analogy that I've used is I, I sort of feel like this is Amazon 12 years after Amazon became a company. Now, remember, Amazon was worthless when Jeff Bezos was walking around in D.E. Shaw and he was thinking about a company that he was going to start. The asset value of the company was worthless. And so then he starts the company. He puts the desk out. He starts building the company. 12 years go by. You look at the Amazon chart. It looks amazing. You're like, oh, my God, I, I have missed this. But if you started your investment at that moment and then you saw Amazon's chart 12 years hence, you've had a 64x move uh, in Amazon. And so my point to people is if you believe, and I think CZ and I believe this, I don't want to put words in CZ's mouth, but I think it's clear from his body of work that this is the monetary network. This is the modern monetary technological network. And if you believe that, uh, and we've watched it take on 6,500 different competitors, and it's sitting there as the monolith at 700-ish billion dollars in market cap. If you believe what I believe, then I'm imploring my clients to own one, two, three percent of it. Uh, Michael Saylor said something to me yesterday. Uh, he said it's very tough to own your first Bitcoin, but once you buy it and really understand it, you're always scratching your head saying, "I don't own enough of it." And so I just want to get people started. Now, 
some of my business strategies related to my background. You know, I grew up with no money. My dad was a, a laborer. He was a crane operator out here on Long Island. And so my parents never went to college. And so when I got into the hedge fund space and Wall Street, I always said to myself, geez, I want to be able to op- offer up opportunities to people uh, to invest with the larger elite managers at lower numbers. And so my hedge fund fund of funds has a $25,000 minimum. Uh, and this gives people full democratization into the hedge fund space. Why did we pick 50,000 for Bitcoin? Well, you know, it's a new business. I really want to make sure that I've got the qualified slash sophisticated investor, mm-hmm. uh, but I want to make sure that I've gotten it deep enough into the uh, consumer chain, if you will, uh, that we're catching people that are in the mass affluent space in the United States. And so um, that's the intersection of all the ideas in terms of the product formulation. Uh, now, of course, if there is an ETF or a mutual fund at some point, uh, I'm hopeful that Skybridge will have its own version and its own brand of that. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, maybe a question for you for you both. And when we, when we focus solely on these institutional investors that are, get, are getting involved with Bitcoin, do you believe, uh, for the most part, it's a it's a macro play, um, you know, the hedge against inflation, or uh, uh, you know, looking at currency uh, debasement? Uh, are they interested in the price action, whether looking to capture alpha through through the, you know the volatility of the price, or are, are they actually interested in this technology? It might be all of the above as well. So I'd be interested to to get your thoughts on that. Susie, if you want to kick off on that sure. one. Sure. Um, yeah, I think, well, I, uh, my understanding, I think Anthony probably knows this much more from a, sub, uh, from a, uh, from a direct uh, subjective point of view where he, he, he operates a fund. I, my, my, my feeling is um, for the uh, current type of funds that's come in, most of them are like uh, treasury management. So they are, they are viewing Bitcoin as a safe haven asset and they are buying and holding for long term. So they're not day trading it uh, and they're not using that uh, asset as a tool. Um, so it's it's really more from a uh, investment perspective for 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 a fund like Anthony's and for for the uh, very recent uh, um, corporate treasuries that's allocating um, a percent of the treasuries into into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin fundamentally though is very different things to very different people. Uh, for some people, it's an asset. For other people, it's a currency that can be used to trade internationally or cross-border remittances, etc. For other groups of people, it could be it is a technology innovation, and for other people, it could even be a religion. So mm-hmm. it is different things to different people. Um, so from like from the from the sort of broader users that we, that that we that we service and interact with. So um, yeah, everybody classifies different Bitcoin differently, but fundamentally, Bitcoin is a collection of all of these things. So it's really interesting. So I think it's got huge potential in all of uh, in all of those fronts. Okay. Well, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is that uh, uh, the most sophisticated institutional investors, the Bill Millers, the Paul Tudor Joneses, the Stan Druckenmillers, um, I think this is less of a macro strategy. I mean, maybe that's a component. You could list that on the reasons why they would own it. Mm-hmm. And it's more this revelation. It's more this understanding of what CC and I are talking about related to this monetary network and related to the future infrastructure of the transfer of value among human beings. And I think it's so, I guess you could say that that's macro, but it feels more meta to me. It's more of a metaphysical thing than a macro thing. Okay, great. 
Uh, we've talked a lot about Bitcoin, and I just want to uh, put Bitcoin aside for a moment because there are a lot of cryptocurrencies that are invested in uh, on, on a daily basis. There are a lot of coins out there. Um, do you believe that the initial interest that we're seeing from institutional investors will then expand to other coins uh, in the space and that we might see other products, uh, funds or other, uh, that focus on these uh, coins are not uh, Bitcoin? Anthony or CZ? Well, go ahead, CZ. Sure, I'll, I'll take a crack at it. Um, so I think basically, um, yeah, as I said before, I think the current um, sort of uh, hedge funds and treasury that are typically into Bitcoin, uh, I thought it was more of a half, uh, safe haven asset given the uh, it's a very great hedge against inflation, which is happening very rapidly right now from the, all the quantitative easing from central banks. Mm -hmm. So, um, but once people get into Bitcoin, uh, this is the first thing they learn about crypto, right? So there's a learning curve. They, they, they get comfortable with Bitcoin and then they're um, they're going to look at other, uh, they probably will look at other cryptocurrencies as well. But I think Bitcoin is like, Bitcoin is the most secure, but it's not the fastest, it's not the highest capacity network. Um, um, it, it is the first application of a blockchain technology. And then, um, uh, but because it's most secure and most adopted, it's going to, uh, for the for, for a very long time into the future, it's going to serve as, I think, an international reserve currency uh, to some extent. Um, but if we want mass adoption, like uh, blockchain-enabled applications and other technologies, um, the, 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 the bandwidth is not high enough. There are other uh, faster blockchains being developed right now or are getting adopted. Um, and uh, so there, there are other applications um, using the blockchain technology that's not Bitcoin that could get pretty interesting traction as well. Um, they will be higher risk and probably may have higher returns. So they may fit different uh, different tastes. So, um, but once people get in, Bitcoin is the first gate. People get into uh, get into crypto using Bitcoin. And once they're in, they're more exposed. So uh, they will have more exposure to other asset types or other tokens, other blockchains. So, um, yeah, so I always say what's good for Bitcoin is good for the industry. Um, but I think for most uh, institutions, they're going to stay in Bitcoin for a while before they explore into other things. Uh, maybe Anthony have more uh, direct input. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I'm. I, guys, I don't know how to tell you this. OK, yeah, you know. CZ is an early frontiersman in the world of crypto, and so he's one of the founding fathers and a legend. But you, you got to understand so that I'm out on the frontier as it relates to the old fogies in asset management. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the notion of these other coins, and I'm not saying that some of them aren't good in Ethereum, et cetera. Uh, but we're, our job right now is to get the early adoption started with Bitcoin. And I think CZ is correct. If Bitcoin does well, there'll be other uh, coins that, that come in. But trust me, uh, when you talk about early stage, uh, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, Elon Musk landed me on Mars. There's 10 of us and we're sitting on the colony there trying to figure out how to populate Mars. So I'm, yeah. trust me, I'm getting busy, but I don't I'm not worried about these other digital coins right now as much as I am convincing people intellectually uh, that they need to be part of the Bitcoin ecosystem first. Mm -hmm. OK, yeah. I also, if you look at global adoption, I think what Anthony said really makes a lot of sense. Uh, everyone's really hot about DeFi and all these other new technologies, mm. but 99.8 or 99.9 percent .9 of the population don't even have any crypto yet, and those guys are going to get into Bitcoin first. So that's the mass adoption we got to focus as well. So we can't lose track of that. So that's the really important part. That's the mass adoption part that we need to work on. Step by step uh, yeah. process. Okay, great. Um, CZ, one for you. So uh, Binance serves a large number of both institutional 
uh, and retail clients. Uh, um, I think um, Christophe. Christophe Ries. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I can, I can take over. Let me fire in a question. I'm dying to ask you this question, if you don't mind. Uh, Go for it. Uh, CZ. Um, when you look at your vantage point, because you're sitting in Singapore and you're looking at the world, you know, unfortunately in the United States, sometimes we are, we're myopic to the United States in terms of our business market. But when you look at the world and you look at China and other places, will Bitcoin from a governmental regulatory perspective, and I mean this globally, uh, be universally accepted? You know, Christine Lagarde, as an example, uh, earlier this week made some comments about Bitcoin that were somewhat dismissive. What is your feeling three, five, and 10 years out related to that regulatory rubric? Yeah, I think it's going to take a while. Um, I think that's definitely a lot of resistance uh, uh, just from every um, uh, angle, uh, not just regulators, just from uh, people adopting, getting used to a um, uh, using Bitcoin as an international currency and having that fully adopted uh, by uh, different countries. So um, I think eventually we'll, we'll get there one way or another. Um, I think we, uh, we see some of the pioneers like in Japan, uh, they recognize Bitcoin as a legal currency since 2017. And um, uh, but then if you look at their regulations, they're, they're, they're very open towards cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin itself. Right. And also like uh, 20 other um, uh, currencies. Uh, or between other cryptocurrencies, but they are relatively strict on um, regulations around how many coins an exchange can list on the uh, on the exchange, etc. So that's why they hin that hinders the growth of the exchanges quite uh, severely. Um, and we see China pushing very heavily for the uh, for the uh, uh, central bank digital currency, the the, the DCEP, uh, and that's being pilot tested uh, in a number of commercial large banks. Uh, so that's very innovative. Uh, that's very innovative. But China's not really pushing Bitcoin that heavily right now. They're pushing blockchain technology. Whereas U.S. Uh, has always seen more uh, technology innovation. So a lot of the DeFi innovation come from the U.S. I think 50% of the developers are in the U.S. So. Um, um, so yeah, I think, uh, and but and now there's a stable coin um, kind of a, a guideline uh, uh, issued by the OCC. So we're seeing different uh, countries trying different things, and many other countries. The smaller countries are typically more open to uh, fintech innovation, so because they have a lot, they have a smaller population. They use their currency is not the world dominating currency. They don't have to worry about those kind of things. Whereas U.S. have the U.S. dollar, they want to maintain that as a global dominated currency, and China is trying to make the RMB the global dominated currency. So they have a, um, they have different, they have different, slightly different objectives, and it's going to take a number of years for them to fully realize that the 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 global coordinated currency is likely to be decentralized. That's the irony of the future. It may not be the American dollar or the RMB, but this decentralized mechanism. And in fact, the decentralized mechanism will probably allow people to feel safer and secure relative to the manipulation of the currency, if that makes any sense. That makes total sense to me. I think that's what I think would happen. And that's why I'm in this industry. Um, and that's why I'm spending all my time and energy on this. On this. So I think, that's the, I, th I think that's the general thing that will eventually happen. But to get there, um, there is a lot of resistance. There is, there is going to be a lot of uh, co slightly conflict of interest um, and conflict of power. Um, happening, so this is not going to be a very—it's uh, not going to be smooth sailing. So there will be some 
um, there will be push, there will be some uh, fluctuations, but I think eventually we'll get there. Eventually, there will, people will realize that, well, if you ban Bitcoin, you're just gonna uh, limit yourself uh, away from Bitcoin. Bitcoin is gonna it's gonna survive. So um, I think that's what that's it's gonna, it's gonna take a while, but I think eventually it's gonna happen. I think most likely Bitcoin will become um, a international reserve currency of some kind. Thanks, Izzy. Sorry, Jens, I'm, I'm back. Uh, connections <laughs> up there. Um, I do have a question for you, CZ. So I was asking you about the, the difference uh, between um, institutional investors and retail investors uh, on Binance. Do they trade differently? Uh, do they prefer different coins from each other? Uh, yeah, they, um, there are some differences. I wouldn't like, so there's different ways to classify the users from um, from my perspective. I would say there's like three or four type of users, including uh, institutional and also retail. Uh, on the institution side, there's really three types. Uh, they're the guys who are long-term. Uh, they're typically Treasury or uh, Anthony's um, Skybridge fund. Uh, they, start, they buy in large amounts, and they buy in hundreds of millions of dollars, in, um, and they take uh, and they take months to accumulate those kind of positions. So they just buy a little bit every day. They usually use an algorithm, VWAP, TWAP, whatever, mm-hmm. um, and then they they slowly accumulate and they just hold. So they actually uh, uh, they actually don't actively trade that much. Um, they sometimes go through an OTC broker. They sometimes do it directly through one of their algos. So that's one type of like buy and hold um, institutional buy and hold uh, 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 users. Um, the second type are the sort of uh, hedge fund guys who are actively trading with their own money. Um, so they are they are they are trading to try to make gains, and those are the professional traders. Um, they typically do trade very uh, very actively, and those are the sort of, uh, for us, the big VIPs, they, they have large trading volumes. Um, in that camp, there's also a subcategory of market makers where they, um, they're not trading to make money, but they just provide liquidity. So they have a spread, they sell mm-hmm. at a slightly higher price and buy back at a slightly lower price, and they just let people trade against them. They just provide liquidity. Um, those guys make a little bit of money for on each trade, and they have a large number of trades, so they do make good money. And then they're um, they're just there to provide liquidity, so they're not really betting on the on the direction of the uh, of the uh, um, of the of the price. Um, so that's the three type of institutions. And then there's the retail guys who just want to come and buy some coin easily, and they mm-hmm. typically trade against the market makers. So um, and they, uh, it's kind of one side is kind of really like the merchant or shop. The other kind, the, the other side is really like the retail. So at a very high level, uh, at a very rough level, we see those four different types. Um, so um, the institutions do tend to trade more of the larger cap coins more. Um, so they don't really venture into a lot of the newer coins, which may, which may have higher volatility, mm-hmm. less uh, less liquidity, et cetera. So um, yeah, so we do see the institutions trading the BTCs, ETH, uh, the, the top 10 coins a lot more. Um, so that's generally what we see. Okay. Uh, let's say, for example, I'm a large uh, institution, a family office, asset manager, or, or hedge fund. How should I approach uh, Binance? I mean, let's say, for example, I'd like to execute uh, a large order and, and buy Bitcoin. Um, how can I do that across the platform? So there's actually very simple ways. Um, so actually, the simplest ways, we actually have a convert function that's really designed for retail users. Like, it's very simple. You just put in, uh, just put in how much you want to buy. And then uh, and then in the same box, if you put a large number, say you want to buy, I don't know, a thousand, a thousand Bitcoins, mm-hmm. um, you will actually get a, you'll, you will be moved into a slightly uh, RFQ mode where uh, there will be an OTC desk that will, quote that, that will quote for that. So you don't have to, and you get a quote, you can execute that large block trade 
in one shot. So you, you don't have to worry about slippage. You don't have to worry about putting a market or putting the order out there and pushing the price down or up, uh, except, or pushing the price away from you, which, which, is, which is not good for, uh, uh, for you. So, um, so that's the online way. That's actually probably the easiest way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, another way is just to contact our OTC desk or, or our VIP desk. Um, they will do the OTC offline. They'll call your price and then uh, that, that, uh, that is done. Um, there's a third way, which is uh, we do have we also do offer uh, algos um, uh, as well, like WeVap, TWAP, so that you, we let you buy on the market uh, with small orders over time. So that's so like today is generally pretty simple to do, and um, that that's that's the that's the things we offer. Okay, great. Um, I have one last question to wrap up uh, this uh, this section, and it's for you, Anthony. And I, and I know a lot of people who are watching today uh, will be very interested in your in your answer. So historically, uh, Skybridge's core offering uh, has been a traditional uh, fund of hedge funds. Um, you've launched the Bitcoin fund now. Do you have any plans to launch a fund of digital asset managers? Yes, is the short answer. The issue for us is the filings and the SEC. But yes, I do see Skybridge having a digital fund of funds. Uh, and if I'm being aggressive about it, I'll say it'll happen by mid-year. Of course, I'd like it to happen tomorrow, but because of the regulation and, you know, one of the things I'm very keen on because of our high profiles, making sure that we are to the screws on regulation, but we will have that, yes. And okay. that will also provide the opportunity for other digital assets beyond Bitcoin uh, because we'll be investing in fund managers that may be doing that or maybe trading the coins and so forth. So, yes. I do see that as uh, part of the Skybridge ecosystem going forward. Okay, positive news. That's, that's great. Uh, fantastic. So we're going to move on now to the. Hey, Christoph, should I send you the subscription yeah. documents? So it seems Please like do. you're Please interested. Do. I'll, I'll send them out to you. I'll have a look. <laughs> um, so, quick fire questions now. Very quick questions. Uh, crypto, non crypto. Uh, Please feel free to you know to answer them just off the top of your head. Uh, first one: uh, the crypto market has now reached uh, one trillion uh, in market cap for the first time. Uh, where do you see it going uh, in five years? CZ, what do you think? I think it's going to go over uh, like fifty to hundred trillion in five years. Um, I think it's going to be bigger than the stock market in 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 that kind of time frame. Pretty bullish. So so I uh, I totally think that. So I, I'm totally in CZ's camp. I wish I could jump from my panel into his panel and, and sit there next to him. Uh, but let me just say this. In five years, let's say it goes from $1 trillion to $10 trillion. Just imagine that. And imagine the opportunity that's on the table for investors to participate in what is a seismic transition, evolutionary transition for the world. Uh, and so I think CZ is going to be right, but let's say that he's only 20% right. This is still an unbelievable opportunity that I don't want my clients to miss. Great. Okay, next question. Your biggest goal for 2021, Anthony? Well, you know, I don't want to jinx myself, but I have to be honest, I have avoided the coronavirus, at least I think I have. Okay, I would like to avoid the coronavirus until I get a vaccine. That's really the small goal. Uh, the larger goal is to uh, expand our digital product offering, uh, get our Bitcoin fund up in, and scaled. And by scaled, I don't want to sound overly ambitious, but I don't see why our fund, if you think about our price level, we're charging 75 basis points. 
versus 2%. You can own the NAV of the coin versus having to pay a premium. You can come into our brand, which is backed by Fidelity Digital Assets. So we're in partnership with Fidelity, which is arguably one of the largest mass asset managers in the world and one of the more recognized brands in the United States. Uh, and you've got our service module, our customer service, and uh, you've got Ernst & Young auditing our fund. Uh, if we can't get this to a $500 billion fund by year end, I'll be upset with myself and my team. $500 billion, right? Well, I said 500. We'll have to see what happens. But I, I yeah. do think like you and like Plan yeah, B, this is. <laughs> this is heading for $100 trillion, And so we need to be a part of it. And I need to wake up my clients. And, and, and guys, you know, because you're steeped in it, uh, CZ, and I think you'll get this, you're steeped in it, but I'm in an area of the world where I'm talking to banks and wirehouses, and I'm talking to due diligence teams yeah. who are panicked. They don't know what to make of it. They haven't totally figured it out yet. They're not comfortable with it. And they're thinking, oh my God, if I invest in this fund or I put this fund on my platform, I may lose my job because of it. Yeah. You know, and then they see that price movement from 2017 yeah. down to the 3000 level. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to top tick this thing. You see, you see what's going on right now. And so we need to churn through all of that intellectual discussion and make those people recognize that this is a brand and they haven't missed it. It's buying Amazon in year 12 where you still have this amazing run ahead of you. You haven't missed it. It's not, it's not expensive if you understand the capabilities of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I th uh, no I th Anthony, I think you're doing great work and it's really, really tough work. I fully understand it. Yeah, so I really, a lot of respect for that. Yeah. Well, so I, for I me, like, you know, another, yeah. another one of my goals, I want to keep my hair. You know, I'm 57. <laughs> I, you know, my brother's completely bald, so I want to keep my hair because I think it's always fun to razz him at Christmas. Uh, but I mean, there's other goals on my list if you want to hear them all, Christoph. I don't know how much time you guys have, but those, yeah, we'll discuss them afterwards. Those are the big meta goals. The hair is an important one. Um, sure, sure. Your biggest goal? Sure. I think, well, basically for, well, for me, let, let me start with a personal one. Um, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been trying to get six apps for the last 20 years, never got one in my life. So that's kind of a personal one. We'll see if I can get it. We can get that done this year. But um, on the business level, more seriously, I think uh, I think 2021 is going to be a really explosive year. Um, it's very, it's, I, I have a feeling it's going to be very much like 2016, 17, where it's past the previous all time highs and then it's going to it's going to grow. And my biggest goal is just to keep up with the demand. So. Um, I ha so I have a slightly different mentality to what Anthony is doing. So he's actually talking to the traditional guys, trying to get them in. Um, I'm just trying to keep up. I think the demand is going to flood in um, because of because of all the good work that Anthony uh, and guys like him are doing. Uh, I'm just trying. We just we have a platform that's really busy right now. We're just trying to keep up with the demand. It's, the demand is already growing like exponentially. So we are one of the largest providers of liquidity in this space, and the demand is just so much so high, and it grows like. Two, three, five x every every month or so. Our system just couldn't keep up. So, um, I'm like, well, so far we kind of barely keeps up with some hiccups here, here and there. So, my my biggest goal is just to keep up with the growth of crypto um, in in twenty twenty one. Okay, great. Um, next one. Who is your biggest inspiration? Who wants to kick off, Anthony? Well, you know, I would say for me, and I don't want to sound cliche, but it, it is really my grandparents because. Uh, you know, when you get older and you realize the risk that they took to come to the United States and they were impoverished and they came here with absolutely nothing. And, 
there was no welfare or safety net at that time in the United States. And they just worked super hard. And thankfully, it was at a time in the country where there was a lot of aspirational opportunity for people that were blue collar. Uh, I would say those are for sure my role models. I want to uh, never let them down. Uh, my grandfather had a great expression, which I'll share with everybody. You know, if you can't afford the ticket, don't go to the movies. Uh, and so he was a humble guy and he always lived below his means. And I've always told my peers on Wall Street that as well, you know, just live below your means, you know, uh, grow your assets. And and so he would be my role model. If, if you're asking me intellectually who my role model is, uh, it would be Marcus Aurelius. And I would encourage everybody that's listening to read meditations in the language because it's translated in every single language. But read it because uh, he was up against a lot of different things uh, in 180 AD. And he was fighting a war on a number of different fronts. And he was trying to keep the empire together. And what he says about his life, he never thought for a moment that what he was writing was ever going to be read by anybody. And so his very intimate thoughts about his internal mechanisms and his internal thinking. And I would imagine everybody that's listening right now, if you read his book, you'll see yourself in that book. Uh, and every time I read the book, and I try to read it once a year, it's a quick read, it'll make you a better person. Yeah, that's okay. I, got, I got to read that book then. Um, yeah, so I, I actually share a lot of what Anthony just said. Um, my father uh, immigrated, well, I immigrated to Canada with my father when I was 12. So I, uh, I saw my father and my, and my mother on very basic salaries, trying to raise a family, etc. So um, I, I went through that. Uh, and I think that's actually very useful for me because I, I also do always live below my means. Um, so uh, I don't have a fancy life. I don't, um, yeah, I, I, I just don't, have, even today, I don't have a, a fancy lifestyle. I think intellectually, I, the person I really, really inspire in this industry is obviously Satoshi Nakamoto, right? So he wrote a nine piece of paper, um, wrote some code for half a year, and then disappeared. And no marketing team, no, no nothing. And then this, I don't know, one trillion dollar industry followed uh, 12 years later. So I think, um, and uh, I'm always, I've always been thinking about how do we decentralize finance? So we started as a much more centralized entity. Um, myself and the funding team are known um, and still around. So how do we convert this into a more decentralized organization and a, a more decentralized ecosystem? I've been thinking about that a lot, but um, I'm not as smart as, um, uh, nowhere near as smart as Satoshi. So I'm still thinking about it. But so he, he's one of, like intellectually, he's one of the biggest uh, inspirations for me. Okay, fantastic. Uh, last uh, quick fire question. And Anthony, I can see all the, the books in the background there, so I know you're both uh, avid readers. Um, how many books do you read uh, in a year? Do you have any recent favorites or, or highlights that you can share with us? Okay, well, I, I do. Uh, I, I moved them off of the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one if you don't mind. Okay? I'm going to close that I'm only, I'm in a Zoom call here so you can see my shorts. Okay, but hold on. <laughs> I'm going to show Fantastic. you a couple of things now that you've asked me, okay? So this is a phenomenal book that if you are a global thinker, you need to read this book, okay? And this book is called In the Time of the Americans. It was written about 25 years ago, and it is about the neo-Victorian men that tried to build the new world order. Um, and they were thinking about ways to counterman what happened at Versailles. Uh, and at that moment in time, whether the world likes it or not, America was the only standing industrial nation after the war. Uh, and yet they built up a system 
uh, and a post-World War II architecture to try to maintain the peace. And again, I don't want to make it overly American-centric because there's a lot of people in that story that did it, but I think it's very important. And this book by Ben Steele about the Marshall Plan. And so whether you're in Singapore or China or wherever you're listening to this, read these books because like Bitcoin, uh, there is a political way of life. There is a standardized way of life that will lead to more prosperity, that will lead to more freedom, that will lead to more education for people. Uh, and we need to get to that standard as well. And that's not, that's not me judging any other system. And that's not an American centric comment as much as it is a universal values comment. And I think these men, and, and again, they were mostly men at that time. I'm not saying it in a sexist way. I think they understood that they needed to do something above and beyond their, their own commitment to themselves to see if they could nudge the world closer to greater peace and prosperity. And by the way, George Marshall, as you guys may know, he went to China to try to bridge the gap uh, between the Kuomintang and Chairman Mao. Of course, that was unsuccessful. Uh, but these are these are brilliant stories uh, that we can take with us into this century to see how we can make sure that all of us stay prosperous, but lift the tide for others uh, uh, that like CZ's parents or my grandparents and parents, how we can do that together. Mm. But I got a hundred other books if you guys want to know. I'm sorry I'm being so long winded, but I got them, you know, and I, and I, re I probably read about 60 books a year. Yeah, um, I got yeah I got I got to get your full book list. So yeah, I, yeah, so I I usually use um Kindle to listen to books about like 30, 40 50 60 books a year. I think the year before I did 80 books but um not I didn't finish all of them. Some some books are not good and I just don't finish. Um I published my book list a few times so I will not repeat them here but I'll add a, new, a couple of new ones. So been reading I've been listening for the Innovation Stack by um uh, Jim uh, uh Jim McAuliffe. I think he's a partner of um, uh, Jack Dorsey. Uh, brilliant guy. I interviewed him on the Salt Talks, by the way, CZ. He's a brilliant oh, okay. guy. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I like books which gives gives me new ideas. So this this is like a, a entrepreneurial uh, coaching book, but he has a lot of really interesting ideas which I didn't really know before. So I thought I thought that was really uh, that was really really uh, interesting and fantastic. This book is not on my previous recommendation list. So I've been reading that. I've, I've been listening to this three or four times now. So um, it's it's great. There's a couple other books. Easy. Like, Could you of, email me your list? Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We, we, we can swap lists and we, we can. We can we can uh, we can we can compare notes. I think I listen to more of the entrepreneurial uh, startup um, uh, books, etc. I, I think you have probably have a little bit a little bit more of a historic history selection. They're always happy to uh, uh, to to swap. So um, there's a couple other books like The Alchemist, uh, Loon Shots. All of these are like sort of startup books, but they're all kind of slightly um, contrarian. Some of the ideas in there. So I, I find those books really really interesting. Um, there's a lot of other books. Yeah, I can go on for a while, but yeah, <laughs> uh, we're supposed to be short here. Yeah. No, it's great. This, we got, I love these uh, quick fire questions because we get some some great insights. Um, great. Okay, we're going to finish off today's uh, session with some questions from the the crypto uh, community. Uh, the first one is from uh, David Janbeck, uh, and it's for CZ. Uh, where do you think Binance will be in four years' time? Ooh, that's a very specific time frame. Uh, so be. basically, we we we, want, we just want to provide infrastructure services for this industry. So right now we're providing liquidity exchange, uh, so price discovery services. We have a few wallet solutions we have invested in, and they're quite they're doing really well actually. Uh, Trust Wallet is probably now the number one um, most used mobile wallet. 
we have a few blockchain projects going on. We have Binance Chain, Binance Smart Chain. We, ha we actually have invested in a few other blockchains. So we want to provide blockchain infrastructure as well. Um, I kind of view like Bitcoin is the reserve currency. Um, it's not uh, the, blo blo the blockchain's capacity is limited, um, but it, it is very secure. So uh, there will be a lot more application level blockchains that probably should do 10 billion interactions per day, et cetera. Um, that's kind of the interactions that Facebook uh, handles, for example. Right. So we need those type of uh, infrastructures. So, um, yeah, so in, in a few years, we want to provide, hopefully provide a few different those type of infrastructure services. Um, yeah. OK, great. Um, Anthony, a question from KidsFile1388. Uh, similar type of question, but they, they give you a much shorter time frame. Where do you see SkyBridge in 12 months time? Well, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we have at least a billion dollars in crypto assets in 12 months time. I think that could, could be, uh, I don't want to say easy to do, but based on what CZ and I see on fundamentals, I think that will, that could happen. Uh, and I would like to see SkyBridge uh, uh, in Asia with its SALT conference. We did it in Singapore uh, twice. Uh, the flights have returned. I know there have been stalled now because of the pandemic, but I'd like to see SkyBridge in Asia with our SALT conference, either in Singapore or Shanghai or some someplace like that. We did it twice in Singapore, once in Tokyo. Uh, and then I would say the third thing I would like to see for SkyBridge is more personnel diversity. And so it's, uh, you know, probably not allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it. It's very hard to hire uh, uh, diverse people in the middle of a pandemic. And so I want to I want to make a very big commitment to that uh, when this is over. Fantastic. Um, next question. Uh, and I think it's this one that you can both answer uh, from Jessel TV. What are the best ways to help convince the public that Bitcoin is a safe and maturing asset? Who would like to take that one? Um, Anthony, I'll let, I'll let you go for this one first. I have a funny answer for this one. Okay. Well, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure I have a funny answer, but you know, what I would tell the public uh, that's familiar with the stock market and familiar with businesses uh, to think about uh, what they've seen in their evolution in the last hundred years from a horse and buggy to a car, to an airplane, to a technological system known as the internet, to telecommunication systems known as satellite transmissions. And to think about how everything is evolving. We were sitting as young kids. You guys are younger than me, but I was a young kid learning how to type on a typewriter. And typewriters were the end-all, be-all for IBM. And now you, you can only find them in an antique store. And you have to think about it from that context that everything is evolving. And is your money evolving? And if you say to yourself, yes, my money is evolving Satoshi Nakamoto, the group, the person, uh, figured out a way to create almost a perfect system. There's no such thing as perfection, but almost a perfect system uh, related to the value transfer and keeping a ledger between two human beings. If you can get to that moment of belief, uh, then you will accept what I'm accepting and CZ is, CZ is accepting, that this is a mature asset class this is a mature store of value um and and i think you have to take it back through that continuum and once you do that i think you'll get a lot of confidence and you'll you'll be saying what michael saylor says god darn it i wish i owned more of it yeah 
Yeah, so uh, my, my answer is, um, well, my short answer is basically, I recommend people to follow Anthony, follow Michael Saylor. Um, uh, 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 when I first got into Bitcoin, like in 2014, 15, 16, I, I was spending a lot of time educating other people, but I repeat that so many times. Actually, now I do, I do it much less personally, but we do invest in educational websites like Binance Academy, et cetera. Um, my funny answer is like actually over 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 the last seven years, uh, especially now in, in the position of running an exchange, um, the biggest way, the biggest way, the best way to to what I've seen the most effective way to get more users in is one green stick. So if we once we get a one green one big green candlestick, people people rush in. So it's it's a it's a um, hope, well ideally it has a positive virtuous of, uh, effect where um, the price going up actually attracts more attention, mm -hmm. more people learn about it, more people come in, the price goes up more. So if we look at a longer time horizon, that is already what's happening. So um, yeah, I mean um, yeah, that's that would be my answer to that. That generally works quite well indeed. <laughs> All right, uh, next question is from Beluga Finance and CZ. I have a feeling that this one might be for you. Do you like pancakes with a lot of syrup? <laughs> uh, this is referring to one of the uh, uh, Binance Smart Chain projects. Uh, yes, with a short answer. Okay, perfect. Um, and our last two questions are from uh, Anga Kali and Rafael Sabi, uh, respectively. Um, some market timing questions. When is it time to sell? And how do you time large buys against a volatile market? Who wants to take these, uh, these trading questions? I, I got to give those to CZ. I'll give a short answer. I'm not interested in that, actually. I'm interested in buying and holding, and I'm taking a five to 10 year horizon on this. And so even if I buy today at 50,000, I'm very confident that that's going to be seen as a good purchase in three, five and 10 years. Yeah. Actually, so as much as I uh, we run an exchange, I actually I don't trade, and I actually so the uh, I would say the uh, the word sell is a misnomer. Um, you, uh, I don't think about it that way anymore. Um, so I would say never uh, sell. Uh, I would answer never uh, to be honest. Um, sell means converting to fiat. Basically, you're gonna hold your asset, you hold your value in some in some asset type. Um, selling to most people right now uh, for. The people who ask that question, um, but to me, it means that I'm going to convert from crypto to fiat. That, that's what you probably mean there. So, um, and I think we can hold it to a point where we can just spend it. So, where, whatever you want to buy or whatever you want to invest in, you can do it directly in, in crypto. So, um, I, I would recommend people to uh, buy and hold to the point where crypto will be fully adopted everywhere, etc. And um, I, well, to be honest, I I still did convert to fiat just to pay for expenses. Even now, um, there are still some expenses we can't we can't pay in crypto directly. And that, but that's just in, in a sense that's just spending it. Uh, I'm not really selling. We're not really selling. So uh, that would be my recommendation. Um, but again, you, there's no perfect time. If um, if you have to convert some, if you to pay for if you have if you have to pay for something in fiat, then do sell into fiat and pay for it. Uh, but other than that, I, I I don't view it as selling. Yeah. Great. Well, fantastic, um, everyone. That wraps up our fireside chat for today. Anthony CZ, thank you for joining. Um, and for those watching, uh, I hope you found uh, the uh, the questions and answers insightful. And we'll look forward to do a few to join us for the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great yeah. Thank you. You too.